today's title is simply a man's got to do what a man's got to do. Now, I, I looked that up and I'm thinking, OK, well, where did we get that from? And some people say, well, John Wayne said it in this movie. And then some people say that uh, this actor, and I didn't go too far, but all these different people came up with similar phrases. But they finally came up with who came up with that. And I would have never believed it. Any of you all remember a cartoon called The Jetsons? George Jetson came up with that phrase. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. Now, what does that mean? Well, we can give you a lot of guidelines, and there's so much that's in the Word of God, but we want to expound and kind of take you in that direction on the day. Amen? Amen? So, I have a video I want you all to watch.
when I watched this video, what came to mind is, this is what men do. And I don't mean join the military and die for their country. I mean, men look at what's most important. And these men gave up their careers as professional athletes and saw a greater need. Now, I'm not asking anyone to join the, the Army, the Air Force, any of the armed forces. I'm not saying join the Sheriff's Department or any other line of duty that will cause them to die. But the good news is the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We don't have to die for our country. But we need to die to ourselves and see the greater commitment that we need to make. And I'm talking about the men first. That we need to commit ourselves to Christ. Amen. Amen. As men, we are faced with challenges that are ultimately foundational. There are conversations and lessons that men need to have before others get to them, before they hear it on the streets. In addition, we should not be competing, arguing, or dividing ourselves with women, but rather working along women, our wives, our sisters, to help to bring up children in the way that they should go, to be their very best. It all starts with us. We work, we teach, we provide, and we guide. And one lesson I learned as a child, my dad would play this game where he would put me and my sister in the car and drive us somewhere and then tell us, now you tell me how to get back home. And we had to show him a different way because he wanted us to learn our way. Well, one day he said, well, come on, let's go for a ride. My sister opened up the front door. I snatched my sister by the collar and threw her on the ground and jumped in the front seat. And my dad said, don't you ever treat a woman like that again. And these are the kind of lessons that men need to be teaching young boys and young girls. Commitment often looks at oneself, uh, often means looking past oneself and onto others. Going on hand in hand with commitment is the word sacrifice. Commitment often means sacrifice. In his book, The Endurance Factor, Dr. John Tetzola refers to sacrifices saying, what often comes to mind is loss. When we think of sacrifice, it often means loss, giving up something of value. However, in the game of chess, it defines a strategic move that will ultimately lead to one having the upper hand. Any chess players in the house? All right. When you sacrifice one of your people, one of your pawns, one of your knights, you know that ultimately by making this sacrifice later on, it will give you the upper hand. But let me tell you, when we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ and we live a committed and sacrificial life, we will always have the upper hand. Living for Christ means always having the upper hand. If God be for you, it's more than all the world against you. The greatest sacrifice ever recorded in the Bible was in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where King Solomon offered 22,000 cattle and 100, and I, I put the wrong uh, number up here, but 120,000 sheep and goat. And so the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. 
The smallest recorded sacrifice in the Bible was in the book of Luke. The widow came. Jesus, and he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor woman put two very small coins. 142,000, she puts two small coins. And he says, truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put more in than all the others. She sacrificed. She was committed to the cause of whatever the body of Christ needed. And she gave of all that she had. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse, uh, correct, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says this. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Now we have to understand not taking this out of context when it says that we have to decide according to what is in our heart. Well, what's in my heart is There you go, Lord. Here's a dollar. (laughs) Here, Lord. That's what's in my heart. Let me give the Lord a dollar. Because he doesn't understand how hard I've worked. He doesn't know how much my stomach is growling. He doesn't understand that my tank is almost on empty. Yes, he does. Yes, God understands. So when the scripture says, according to what you have decided in your heart, it's saying, don't let anyone pressure you into how much you should give. Don't let anyone force you and tell you how much you should give. It has to be a commitment saying, Lord, I believe that I'm sowing this seed in the good ground. So let that let that decision be on you. We never put a price tag on offerings in open altar. We never do. Because what you give is what you get. What you give, because the Bible says in the same, I think it's verse six, it says that he that sows sparingly, you reap sparingly. But when you sow abundantly, you get it back abundantly, both in your finances, in your time, whatever you give, God's going to make sure you get it back. It is impossible to sacrifice and people need to understand this. It is impossible to sacrifice what you don't have. You cannot sacrifice what you don't have. Yet, a commitment without a loving heart is simply an obligation. I need, I need all the men to be out here tonight at 7 o'clock, and we're going to paint this whole church, this whole building, the bathrooms, the kitchen, the whole nine yards, and the floor needs another coat of ceiling in there, so we're going to do that too. Do you want to be out here at 7 o'clock tonight on Sunday knowing you got to go to work tomorrow, or you just tired? So if you show up, are you showing up out of obligation? Are you showing up because you're committed? And when our heart is not in it, it's just simply fulfilling an obligation. So we have to ask God, we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? And some things are a sacrifice and some things are an obligation. And we have to decide what's most important. So I want again, like I finished off last week, I want to start asking questions. 
How long have you waited? We want God to bless us. How long have you waited for God to bless you? The Israelites waited and lived in Egypt for 430 years. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And after her husband of only seven years, Anna the prophetess stayed in the temple day and night, fasting and praying until she was 84 years old, waiting to see the Messiah coming. But we can't wait 10 minutes. What's wrong with the computer? What's wrong with the Internet? It's just this thing ain't working. Well, get out a pencil and piece of paper and write it down. Why won't you answer your phone? Why won't you answer your phone? I'll get back to you. We are so impatient. So how long have you waited for the blessings of God to come on you? Are you committed long enough to wait for God to bless you? Well, if he don't do it, if God don't do it by the end of the week, I'm going to just do what I got to do. But the children of Israel, they didn't say, well, you're going to be here for 430 years. Make yourself comfortable. No, they waited. They endured torture. They endured horrible living conditions, oppression. How does it feel when you're 70 years old and God says, you're about to have a baby? a gentleman on my work right now and I don't want to put him on blast but he said he has a 21 he has four girls I think a 13 year old a 7 year old he has a 21 month old or let me go the 8 month old doesn't sleep through the night the 21 month old gets up every 2 hours then she gets in the bed 2 hours later she gets up and she gets back in her bed then she gets back and she comes back and says I want to eat. I want to eat. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I want to go gurt. I want to go gurt. And this happens every single night. Can you imagine doing that at 70 years old? How long have you waited? My next question is this. What did you sacrifice? And don't forget, this is Father's Day. What did you sacrifice? Many people feel as though they have given so much in life. You never know how much something costs that someone else gave away or the value that they may put on it. The widow only had two mites. Who in here has two pennies to give away? I think everybody in this room has two pennies that they can give away. But is, are those your last two pennies? So when that person gives only $5, maybe that's $5 that they had to borrow from somebody else before they came to church. But what did you sacrifice? The Bible tells of a man in the Bible. Excuse me. The ultimate sacrifice is one that's given knowing that it can never be replaced. The ultimate sacrifice is giving something knowing that it can never be replaced. I remember uh, somebody gave me, back in 1982, I was over in Germany. This guy says, man, I'm redoing my wardrobe. I was like, really? I was like, okay, because he was a player, player, and all this. And he gave me a dark blue, full-length, 100% cashmere coat. 
And I was like, really? And I know this guy didn't buy cheap clothes. I ended up transferring, came back to the States, and I saw a gentleman that I knew and felt like he needed that coat more than I did. And I'm telling you, it won't but a matter of a couple of weeks. That coat was trashed. It was dirty, filthy, torn up. You name it. You talking about furious. I took good care of that coat because it, was, it meant something to me. But I sacrificed. I gave to someone else in need. And when you give, give out of a cheerful heart. And knowing that God has placed this on your heart, if someone throws away what you give to them, it's not on you. If you do what God tells you to do, then he will bless you. Doesn't matter what the other person does. In Judges chapter 11, verse, beginning at verse 30, there's a man named Jephthah. And many of you have probably read this passage of scripture. Beginning at verse 30. And Jephthah was out in battle and he says, he made a vow to the Lord, says, if you give me the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Lord's, from the Ammonites will be the Lord. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen videos of how people's dogs are opening up the front door and cats are opening the refrigerator. What was Jephthah thinking? What was he thinking? And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So he went to battle, defeated the Ammonites, and he's on his way home. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of timbrels, she was his only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. But he made a vow to God. Whatever comes out of my front door, I will offer to you as a burnt offering. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, oh, no, my daughter. He's putting the blame on her. You have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Because the Bible tells us it's better to never make a vow than to make one and to break it. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. So what have you sacrificed? How many of you are willing to sacrifice your own flesh and blood? How many of you are willing to sacrifice? Rich is tapping his son. How many of you... <laughs> are willing to go the extra mile and give what means so much to you. The good part about this story is he had taught his daughter in the ways of the Lord. She understood that her father's word was not just simply words. He made a commitment to say, God, whatever, whatever I give to you, I give to you wholeheartedly. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And the words I speak, I don't speak lightly. Was she happy about it? No. But she was willing to oblige according to what she had been taught. 
Let's not make those same mistakes, man, all right? Let us be careful in the, cho- in the choices we make. Lord, if you just get me out of this jam, Lord, I'll never do this again. Lord, I'll give all my tithes and offerings. Lord, if I have to live on the streets, just get me out of this situation. Be careful what we say. Be careful. Because our words have meanings. Our words carry weight. And the person right next to you may not remember, but God remembers it. Don't you remember when you said? Don't you remember when you said? And then finally, how difficult was your decision? How difficult was your decision to make? When you said, I'm going to be committed, I'm going to sacrifice, how difficult was it? Yeah, man, I'll give you a dollar. It's no big deal. How many of us can reach in our pockets right now and just go to somebody and just give them a dollar? We don't think twice about it. But can we take them somewhere and get them something to eat? Can we sit down with someone and encourage them knowing that we're supposed to be somewhere else right now? How difficult is your decision? If we do everything that's easy and convenient for us. What did Christ give up for us? In the book of Genesis. Chapter 22 and We're all familiar with this story. Abraham waited a hundred years for his son Isaac to be born. But God tested him. Genesis chapter 22 verse 9. Abraham is ready to give his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And his son asked him, said, Dad, well, where is the sacrifice? Abraham obviously knew. He said, God will provide. And so that place from there forth was called Jehovah Jireh because God is our provider. And when they reached that place, he had told him about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son. What was Isaac thinking? (laughs) You said you said God was going to provide. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar On top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took out a knife to slay his son. Isaac is getting really nervous about right now. Or is he? Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. This is the angel speaking. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld your son. Your only son. How difficult of the decision is it for you to sacrifice? Likewise, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he has prepared himself to go to Calvary and to die for our sins. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, please. Take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently. And there was such an agony in his spirit that his sweat 
fell to the ground like great drops of blood. His sweat fell to the ground like great, great drops of blood. This is a scientific or a medical condition known as hematidrosis. It is a condition in which the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing us to exude blood. This is not some supernatural thing that happened to Jesus. Jesus was under so much duress, so much agony, so much suffering that his body began to transform. His blood vessels began to rupture and he began to sweat blood. But if your boss asks you to work a half hour over, oh man, it is the end of the day. It is World War III about to erupt. Girl, I know you're busy. Can you watch my kids? Can you watch my kids till I get home? They get off the bus and I just need you to watch my kids till I get home. Oh, when I get home, it's usually 30 minutes after they get off the bus because I see you all the time. But you use that time to go to Walmart. Stop by and get that one nail that's busted. It's only going to take 15 minutes. It ain't funny. (laughs) So how difficult is the decision when we say that we're committed to Christ? And I'm telling you, the older I get, the more tolerable I am in some areas. When When my godson was only like two and three years old and he wanted to play box and he would slap me in the face, I would say, "Nah, you don't want to do that. But when a child would do that to me in the third, when I was like in my 20s, oh, it's touchdown and a field goal. He was going to get spiked and he was going to get kicked, both. (laughs) I didn't have it in me. I'm just being honest. But when we think about being committed, think about what Jesus suffered. Think about what Abraham was willing to do to sacrifice and to give give it his all. So, man, I, want, I asked you those four questions, but I want to leave you with these three points very briefly. God has expected every man has an expectation of men, and we cannot settle for anything less other than his will for us. God has a purpose for us, and we have to fulfill it. So, first of all, man, I want to tell you, we have to be the spiritual leaders. You don't have to say, well, I don't know all these, I don't know all the books in the Bibles. All you have to say is, family, we need, we need to get in the word. Men might say, well, I don't, I don't know how to pray because God says, put me in remembrance according to his word. Isaiah chapter 43 it is, I believe. So we need to say, God, you said you would supply all of my needs. Lord, you said that you would forgive me of my sins if I confess my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I can't remember that. But he needs to tell his family, family, we need to pray. You don't have to know, man, you don't have to know all the scriptures. You don't have to hear from God all the time. But you have to know, look, family, look, hey, it's Sunday, it's raining, but we're going to church. Because rain is the number one cause that we don't come to church, is it not? For some reason, we don't come to church when it rains. People are looking perplexed, but I'm telling you, over the years, if it rains, it's like, oh, not going to church today. (laughs) 
And I'm telling you, we have a good roof on this building, so it's not a reason not to come. But be the spiritual leader. Secondly, men set the tone. And Pastor Wendy will tell you, when I'm in a bad mood, it's a bad mood in the house. But when, when I'm laughing and joking, oh, it's great. It's gravy. Men, we have to learn to set the tone in the house. And I'm not saying, you know, you walk in the house and then you start singing, come by here, my Lord, come by. And it's like, Dad, sit down. <laughs> Grab your wife by the hand and start dancing with her. Tell her a joke you heard at work. Put on a sitcom, play some music, do something. But men, you have to set the tone in your house. <laughs> we have to set the tone. Be responsible. Set the atmosphere. Every now and then, and when Pastor Wendy was working, she used to like for me to send flowers to her on her job. I couldn't bring them home and set them on the table. She wanted, she wanted to see that person walk in and say, I have, a, I have flowers for Miss Wendy Spady. And, oh, it just made her day. What was that? Public, yeah. She wanted to be acknowledged publicly. But then I started like, you know, oh, you know, ah, I forgot the number. So I would go some, I would go to a florist and get flowers and set them on the table. It's like, what are these? <laughs> They're flowers. They're for you. I don't want those flowers. <laughs> she wanted, she, so, but anyway, I had to, I had to, I had to set the tone. And then finally, men set, learn to plant seeds. Learn to plant seeds. And, and if you all know that uh, Brother Richard Overstreet, and first of all, uh, I want to take a, a quick minute. I want to thank uh, Richard Overstreet, Christine Overstreet, and everybody else that helped to decorate the beautiful the building today. It looks absolutely fabulous for Father's Day. Thank you so much. And Richard didn't just uh, move furniture. He decorated those little centerpieces over there, he decorated. But, but men, learn how to plant seeds. When, when Richard built this sound booth over here, and I saw, I mean, I love woodwork. But when he showed, when I saw two of the pieces, I'm like, well, when is he going to finish putting them together? It's like, he missed something. I know woodworking, but he missed something. But when he put it together... He made this thing so strong. We were joking. It's like, man, if a tornado comes through here, that sound booth is going to last. If, if the garbage truck busts through the window, that sound booth. But in the process of putting it together, his son was there with him, and he's, he just kept showing his son little things. We take for granted that men, all men know how to work on cars, that all men know how to do. All men know how to fight. All men know how to play basketball. All men love sports. And not all men do. But men have to learn to mentor and to teach other young men and other ladies. Men have to tell their daughters, no, 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 no. He ain't, you know, no, uh-uh. He can come over and y'all can watch movies with us, but you are not leaving this house. If he doesn't treat you better than I treat you, he's not good enough. Pastor Wendy has a, a habit that she breaks, I mean, that she, she does every now and then. She has to understand that the car door on her side don't work from the inside. But every now and then, she wants to get out on her own. It's like, no, 
You wait until I come around and I open the door for you. That, I mean, that's just the rule. And she will every now and then when she gets in, when she gets in her mood, she'll sit in the car and I'm in the store. <laughs> Because I've set that standard. But men have to learn to plant seeds. And it's not always, well, son, in the Bible it says. Son, you've got to understand what the word of God, sometimes you just have to teach your son, look, son, hold, 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 stop. Stop pulling the cord on the lawnmower so much because you're flooding the motor. If it doesn't start after so many times, let it sit for a while. We'll do something else. Teach them those little things and they'll remember it. They will remember it. They will remember it. Um, the summer of 1976, I went up to Connecticut for my dad to go visit his aunt. I mean, his cousin. And I remember woke up one morning and we walked in and she said, um, do you want some eggs for breakfast? And I said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, you say yes, ma'am. And I learned, ooh, learn to say yes, ma'am. Learn to say yes, sir. People on my job younger than me, I tell them, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. People are like, stop calling me, ma'am. Stop calling me, sir. No, I will give you that respect. But, men, it starts with us. What I started off saying from the very beginning, is that men are faced with challenges that are ultimately foundational. The foundation has to start with the men. It has to start with the fathers. Don't let our children learn from any and everybody. And I'm not saying it's all the world is against them. But let them hear it from you first. Let them hear it from dad. And let them hear it from mom too. I'm not, I'm not, this is not about men against women. It's about hearing it from the family, hearing it from the dads. Amen. Thank you all so much. Oh, ho, ho, I'm sorry. All the men... I gave, I gave $5 to you. I need those $5 back. It was just, it was just a prop. And see, hold, 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 see. I don't see nobody getting up. Oh, sit, sit down. No, brother, sit down. Oh, see, I, say that again now. Rich is bigger than me. <laughs> Richard, you just threw me off. <laughs> but think about this. Wherever you were, God met you. And he gave you something that you didn't ask for. He gave it to you willingly. And he gave everyone the same amount. What are you going to do with what God gave you? What are you going to do with what God gave you? But then when God asked for it back, what did you say to God? Well, you gave it to me. <laughs> you walked around and gave it to me. Now, it's not about the $5 because guess what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And guess what? I ain't God. 
So whatever I give you, I can ask for it back. But I'm not, I'm not doing that. The point is, whatever God has invested in you, whatever God has invested in you, whatever God has put in you, he didn't tell you, come here and give it to you. He came and met you right where you were. And he poured something into you. Well, what did you give him? I gave him the same thing I gave you. I gave him the same thing I gave you. And then when the time comes, God's saying, I I need you to give that. But don't give it back to me. Give it to that next person. Share it with somebody else. Share that love. Share that commitment with somebody else. So the money is yours to keep. Do with it whatever you want. (laughs) But whatever God has given to you, he gave it to you wherever you were. In your low point, in your high point, he gave it to you. Amen? Can we ask everyone to stand, please? God is able to do just what he said he would do. He's gonna fulfill every promise to you. Don't give up on God, cause He won't give up on you. He's able. I want every committed man to meet me at the altar. I don't want to exclude the women, but the first thing is I need every committed man. I'm not asking you where you know. I'm not asking you how much of the Bible you know. Not all of us have children. Not all of us are married. But there's somebody in your life. There's four things. Four things that everyone needs in your life. But I want to put the charge on the men. There's four things that every man needs in their life. One, you need to have a spiritual father. Number two, you need to have a mentor. You need to have a mentor. Three, you need to have somebody who you can be accountable to. Somebody you can pick up the phone and call. Somebody you can go out, Panera Bread, Krispy Kreme, watch the football game, and somebody say, hey, man, we need to talk. And that person is your confidant. That person you can talk to, and it won't end up on Facebook. And the fourth thing is you need to have someone that you're also pouring into that those little things that you learn whether it be spiritual or natural something that you can pour into and invest in somebody else if it's nothing more than teaching a six-year-old how to tie their shoes you have just invested in them so one you need to have a spiritual father you need to have a mentor you need to have a sidekick And you need to have somebody you're pouring into. So men, 
I take it by you standing here, not by your confession, because your actions speak louder than your words, that you're saying today that I am committed.